Jordan is on best. Harper's on Miller. Welcome to another edition of the Indy Corn Roast Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Schindler. As always, before we get started today, if you have not already, please be sure to rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts. That really helps us out. I always want to get your feedback, uh, figure out what you're liking, what you're not liking, uh, anything I can do to improve. Always appreciate it. And thank you for just listening overall. Really psyched today. We have, uh, first of all, Pacers are sitting at six and two now. I did not do a post game pod yesterday for the first time in like, feels like a year. Um, it's been like a month, but you know, I'm, king of exaggeration um yesterday just was not really a day to put a pot out so i just figured i would uh wait until today and besides i have two fantastic guests today um in previewing the game on saturday against the phoenix suns i have from the timeline pod uh mike v hill and sam cooper uh if you guys have not listened to them they are my go-to other uh, you guys and sun solar panel because i know dave a little bit um love everything you guys are doing it's really cool to see Phoenix get into the limelight this year and a little bit of last year too. First of all, how are you guys doing? Um, and, and thanks for joining. Doing well. Uh, I'm very excited uh, to talk, talk to you about this. I think the Pacers have been a fascinating team uh, so far this season. So it should be a really interesting game. Thank you for having us. Yeah, totally. Yeah, likewise, likewise, Mark, appreciate bringing us on and two exciting teams, two exciting teams that maybe haven't traditionally gotten the respect they deserve. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, it should be fun to talk about. Yeah. It's uh, so there are actually some connections between this team that are really interesting that we'll get into, but I'm, I mean, I think if you told me a month ago before the season started that both these teams would be six and two um, sitting in the first week of January, I would have told you, you were, you know, I'll take the under on that. Um, I, you know, I do stuff covering the whole league as well. I was high on the on the Suns, um, but they've surpassed my expectations. I'll be honest, I haven't gotten to see every game. I've watched probably two or three right now and obviously kept up with stats careers and everything. So that's why I really want to bring you guys on. Um, but overall, they've really impressed me. And I actually think they've played – I don't have numbers in front of me, but if you pulled up strength of schedule, they got to be just about near the top because they've played really, really strong competition out the gates. Um, I think overall, I would just say, what were your kind of expectations coming into the year? Um, and how have things changed up? Obviously, the bubble was massive. Uh, there was a bigger national spotlight on Phoenix than there had been since the GOAT incident, um, <laughs> which is unfortunate, <laughs> um, but also really funny to look back on. But I think that's what makes this so cool. Like, Phoenix is a great spot. Like, the teams when I was a kid growing up were fantastic. Um, it's cool to see them be good again. So wh what are your, you know, kind of expectations coming out of this i, I know i just asked like eight thousand questions at the same time <laughs> i've just i've been thinking about this all day so i'm excited but yeah i'll uh, we'll start start right there um you know mark it's funny you brought up the connections between the teams the first domino really that fell in the sun's pursuit of chris paul going back now was trading tj warren yep. because trading tj warren opened up the cap space to sign ricky rubio uh ricky rubio and kelly Oubre were then traded for chris paul uh, I was very high on this team. I think both Sam and I, I, you know, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, Sam, but I think both Sam and I were really high on this team going into this season because uh, last season they were pretty good and there were times where they struggled and a lot of the struggles had to do with injuries that happened. The 25-game suspension of DeAndre Ayton at the beginning of last season was something that slowed down their start dramatically and I think it gave a lot of people not the best impression of what that team was because outside of Baines, there was no depth at that yeah. big man position after that. So it was a lot of bad big man play after that until they started to figure out Dario Saric as a center, which I love. Uh, but, you know, I was really high on it. So I was really excited to see it uh, kind of come together so far early. I'll be honest. I thought it was going to take some time. And in a way it has, because as good as they've been, a lot of it has been built on their defense, which I yes. believe is the mm -hmm. sixth ranked uh, defensive efficiency. And the starting lineup for as good as they've been is still a net negative as far as, you know, how they've yeah. played together in that starting lineup for those who haven't been following closely. Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Mikhail Bridges, Jay Crowder, DeAndre Ayton. I mean, on paper, it should work perfectly. And so far, the offense has been uh, not great with them, but the bench has really stepped up and allowed them to be top 10 in both offense and defensive efficiency. By the way, another team 
top 10 in both offensive and defensive efficiency. The Indiana Pacers. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's why I'm looking forward to that game. But yeah, Sam, you can, you can go ahead too. To speak for myself, obviously, Mike, I, you kind of said it for me and I expected the Suns to be very good as well, but not like this. Uh, yeah. I didn't expect them to have a top 10 defense out of the gate. And, you know, I expected so much of the offense just to be this engine that was run dual, this dual threat offense run by Chris Paul and Devin Booker. And obviously Chris Paul has had an impact. We can, we can touch on that, but really no one, I don't think anyone expected campaign to play to the gate like this. I don't think uh, people expected this level of production from people like Jay Crowder, even, and, and Dario Sarge and Cam Johnson out of the gate either. So, you know, if, if the Suns continue winning and that's still an if, but if they get more of this national spotlight on them, they're six and two right now. But um, I think people are going to take note of not necessarily just Chris Paul being good, but but that really it's the supporting cast here that's doing a lot of the heavy lifting. And, and that's been a surprise for even Suns fans. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a great point to bring up right now. I'm six guys scoring double digit figures, um, which is always fantastic for the most part. I mean, the 15 Hawks are like one of my favorite teams of all time. This team's definitely more talented than that. Um, but I, I think it's a good thing when you have a lot of guys who are scoring confidently. Um, but what's so interesting to me is you look at Devin Booker has not felt right to me offensively yet. Like he's still trying to figure his way out with Chris Paul. And I think Chris Paul is at the same. And I think um, their shooting profiles kind of show that right now. They're still uh, kind of getting that clunkiness out of the way. But the biggest thing for me is DeAndre Ayton. I mean, Ayton has been fantastic defensively so far. Um, I remember to me, like his jump as a defender last year was just one of the most underrated things in the league or under talked about things in the league. Like he went from being his, his rookie year, he was a shit defender. Just like the, <laughs> like the, one of the worst defensive centers in the league, at least as a starter. Um, and he went to being like a neutral last year, which is like a massive jump considering where it was at. And now he's turned into a legit plus defender. Um, which has been a, a huge reason for why the Suns are at, are hitting where they're at defensively. Also, I mean, Mikhail Bridges, one of the best wing defenders in the league, if not the best. I mean, I think he's right up there with OG Ananobi and Kawhi. Um, and he's becoming an offensive player too, even with like minimal usage. He's really thriving in a secondary role. Um, overall, though, I mean, I just think you look at this team top to bottom and the depth is what is is one of the more impressive things to me like like you mentioned with campaign one of the cooler redemption stories like he went from being a guy who was playing summer league two years ago to now is playing a legitimate role on a on a on a, on a contender um dario Sharch also was a really cool story last year I, he was one of the guys i remember i was one of the original process truthers i was like no do not trade covington and charge like i get getting butler but getting tobias harris was a mistake as uh, in some <laughs> ways you know um, not to totally berate him. He's a good player, but the way things have worked out, no. Um, but it was depressing to see the way Sharch just kind of bounced around. I thought it was going to be good for the Timberwolves, and I thought he would hit well last year in Phoenix. And it really wasn't until the bubble that that he hit, and he's really figured things out as the backup center now and uh, provides a lot of matchup problems. And he was actually a big reason for why uh, this team, one of the connections is they met in the bubble, and they were the last two undefeated teams in the bubble. Mm -hmm. Um, and Dario Saric was a huge part of why the Pacers lost that game. So yeah. um, it's kind of really funny to look back on that. But overall, I mean, yeah, the the, the depth and, and DeAndre Ayton are what stand out to me the most so far. You know, it's funny. You you bring up the process Sixers, Dario Saric and Mikhail Bridges there. Uh, the Sixers drafted Mikhail Bridges. Mm -hmm. And then the Suns had, I believe it was like the 15th pick in that draft. And then the Suns traded the 15th pick and a Miami, a future unprotected Miami pick, which I believe pays off this summer or whenever the offseason will be. And uh, that was the trade for uh, Mikhail Bridges. The Sixers turn around and use that Miami pick to trade for Tobias Harris. So oh, it was it was a funny sort of mistake on top of a mistake that the Sixers made because they shouldn't have traded. Mikhail Bridges would be perfect for the team that they have right now, first of all. Uh, happy they traded him, obviously. Oh, yeah. But then the the fact that they went and also traded that pick for uh, Tobias Harris and then completely overpaid him is kind of hilarious. Now, they're playing really well right now. So, you know, it's it, it took Daryl Morey to fix it, I think. But uh, uh, it's just a funny uh, thing that happened, line of things that happened in order for that to come about. But... I do want to say you mentioned DeAndre Ayton. I think it's great that you noticed. There's, It's a funny thing with DeAndre Ayton. Because of where he was taken in the draft, the conversation around him has been such a weird conversation. People are unable to either... You're either on one side of it, 
where you're unable to recognize the development that he's made because you're just looking at box scores, right? And mm-hmm. this year he's not averaging. It's like 13 points, 11 rebounds or something. And you don't see defense in box scores. So, you you know, if you're a fan of another team and you haven't watched the Suns at all, you just say, wow, they should have gotten Luka Doncic. Aiton's a bust. That's clearly wrong. There's another side of it where people can't see any mistakes that he makes. But I will say, offensively, I'm never really worried about him. The 13 points is what it is. Mm-hmm. His jump, even from college to his rookie year defensively was big even for as bad as he was at the beginning of the season he ended up being relatively competent by the end of his rookie season and then last year i would say by the end of last season he started to show that he was a good defender and that you know that showed in the bubble and then i agree this year i think he can be trusted as a rim defender he's capable of switching onto wings even point guards in some situations and and able to guard them I just sort of swallowed him up with his size because he's massive and has long arms. And to to have someone that you can trust to do both of those things is one of the main reasons I think that the Suns have been good so far. Because, you know, they have good wing defense. They have Chris Paul at the, you know, center of attack, the point of its attack as a defender. But, you know, on defense, the most important thing is, is whoever's guarding the rim. And, you know, for as good as the defense has been, like I said, sixth in the NBA, I believe, in defensive efficiency. A lot of that credit, I think, goes to DeAndre, and I would say. Yeah, and and when Monty Williams is asked about it too, Mike, I mean, you know, the Suns still play primarily drop coverage with DeAndre Ayton kind of dropping back and, and protecting that rim, and he's very sturdy doing that. It's actually interesting. The Suns have been so good defensively this year without forcing a ton of turnovers. Like, you've got a guy like Mikhail Bridges with those long noodle arms, but he's not actually getting a ton of steals, at least not yet, so... You know, it's just been a lot of Aiton dropping back, contesting shots at the rim, being fundamentally sound. But then also you ask Monty Williams about it, and he says, hey, a lot of NBA teams these days are built to switch two through four, but DeAndre gives us the capacity to just do a little bit extra. And, you know, so what's what's been really exciting to see is those fourth quarter lineups and, and kind of crunch time um, defense where DeAndre can switch onto those guards, onto wings, and, and you can't play them off the floor. And if we're projecting Phoenix as a playoff team, that's the stuff that's going to matter and potentially get them past the first round is, is they need to have a guy like that, especially in the Western conference. Yeah, certainly. And I think, I mean, it, it's a really great point to bring up because I think uh, in some ways people get a little bit too caught up with the idea of switching. Um, like I think, especially when it comes to playoff basketball, like I think uh, it's more having versatility is important than switching necessarily. Switching is good. Um, but like the, you know, people will talk about switching. They're like, oh, well, this guy, can he switch? And I'm like, in some ways it doesn't matter. But then you look at DeAndre and it like, um, I think a lot of times, like you're talking about with just looking at box scores or maybe not watching teams, like, yes, he's a seven footer, but he's got to be just about the most mobile seven footer in the NBA. If you're counting just guys at the center position, because Giannis is, he's a Giannis. He's not really <laughs> right. anything else, you know. He's not Giannis. Um, but I mean, he, he legitimately is just very mobile on both ends. Uh, and I, I wouldn't say I'm concerned. I, if I said that I was concerned about him offensively, I didn't mean it to come off that way. I mean, I'm more, uh, I think there are some, uh, you guys can answer this better than me, but I, I just in watching him, I feel like there are some small, like things in his offensive game that he could round out to, uh, yeah. to really yeah. complete this team. Like he's uh, obviously got the size and power to be somebody who could um, go in and, and really punish, punish mismatches or even, you know, uh, like I, I look at if he were matched up on Miles Turner, Right now, um, just given where DeAndre is at, I'm not like, of course, you know, DeAndre is going to be a tough cover because he's a really good lob threat and that hurt the Pacers in, in the bubble when they played. Um, but in terms of him actually being a guy who's going to post up and, and give Miles problems on the inside, he doesn't do that a ton, um, which again, you can d- debate, you know, uh, offensive efic- efficiency and such. But just in, in terms of him, like, uh, he doesn't seem super contact. Uh, like like super into getting <laughs> drawing contact or or getting into oh, get fouls would that yes. would I be correct in saying that you would be a thousand percent correct <laughs> it's I'll gotten put a it lot this better way. it's gotten a lot better hey well Mike I'll put it this way DeAndre Ayton is averaging a career high in free throw attempts so Ooh, far boy. this year <laughs> yeah at two point two point eight per game <laughs> so and and actually here's another fun stat for you would you think of Sabonis as a, a contact heavy oh yeah and not, even then not he's a, not even a super contact heavy guy. And, okay, what is, that's the wrong word. Would you think of him as a lob threat? Like oh, a, not aggressive, at all. Like hardly aggressive a lob threat. dunk guy. Because Sabonis and Aiton both have four dunks this year. They are tied. 
So, the, you know, I think that's actually one of the interesting things is that the Suns want Aiton to roll with conviction. And I think mm -hmm. he's done a good job of doing it. But so far with Chris Paul, a lob threat, he is not. Uh, we, we just really haven't seen that that come out of him. Um, so, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. I think for Suns fans, it's been about recalibrating your expectations for DeAndre Ayton, understanding that he can take a lesser role on this team and maybe average closer to 13, 14, 15 points per game and still make an impact. But all that being said, he's still not even the most efficient player. Like you said, Mark, there's there's tons of things he can round out of his game. I actually think, you know, you're talking about Miles Turner, who has been really good defender so far. If DeAndre Ayton gets matched up against Miles Turner on the baseline, he's going to shoot over him. He's probably not going to attack the rim. And a lot of the times that DeAndre Ayton has been catching the ball sort of in the high post, like around the nail, it's been like a playmaking position. He's actually looking mm -hmm. for shooters there more often than he's been looking to attack or even shoot. Has There hasn't been a ton of jump shots from that area like there has been in the last two years. I will say in DeAndre Ayton's def defense, there. This year is an outlier for dunks. Uh, he was attempting, he's only attempted four dunks. So, you know, 100% for his dunks, I guess. But <laughs> it, it, in his rookie year, it was over two per game that he was attempting last season. I think it was 2.5 per game dunk attempts. And this year, only four uh, dunks in eight games. So it's very odd, half a dunk a game, if you will. It's, it's, there's something going on there with their ability to find him under the rim. But if you ask him, he says he's not worried about his offense at all. It's not his focus. His, his focus has been entirely on the defensive end because I think that's what it takes for this team to succeed. If you're worried about Miles Turner defending anyone on the Suns, I would say their ability to force switches. I mean, when you have Chris Paul, he's one of the best ever at forcing switches. Uh, I would more worry about him guarding on the perimeter uh, with Chris Paul and Devin Booker trying to force Miles Turner to stretch him out a little bit. And, you know, he's got long arms. He's pretty fast. Miles Turner can do pretty well on that. But those are two tough covers as far as a big man trying to track those two. You know, for as good as DeAndre Ayton is and as big as he is, it still seems like on the switch, the Suns are more willing to use the guards to attack it than they are to use DeAndre Ayton to post it up, which I actually like because mm -hmm. that means that DeAndre Ayton's against a guard trying to get the rebound, and he's a great offensive rebounder. Uh, so it's, you know, a Kobe assist, if you will. <laughs> yes, definitely. Well, actually, that's that's where there is a problem. Like, for, well, I guess I would say um, what questions do you guys have on the Pacers or, or kind of observations coming in before I give away anything on it? I have a question right away. Yeah, definitely. Demonis Sabonis, who I love, 20 points, 11 rebounds, six assists. I mean, that's insane. <laughs> that's completely insane that he's averaging that. Do you feel like what you have seen from Demonis Sabonis is, is a bit of a hot streak? At least, like, the assists is really high. Like, that, I don't know if this is something that he did last year. Maybe his assists were higher last year than I remember. But something about 20 points, 11 rebounds, and six assists immediately stood out to me as it looks like he's being trusted maybe to do a little more playmaking than he was before. And on top of that, how does he do his playmaking? Is this just traditional big man in the post finding cutters and finding shooters? Is he doing this on the move? Cause I haven't seen a lot of paces so far this year. I'll be honest. No. Yeah. So um, that's a great question. I mean, I think in looking at him right now, um, very similar to last year, he averaged five assists per game last year, uh, but he's playing more minutes this year. That's actually one thing that I am uh, slightly that was concerned my question. about. That's one of Don't my slight concerns. Uh, they are. Um, oh, you don't want me to get too into it. That that was going to be my question. Okay, all right, I I'll wait. On that. I will wait on that because it's something I've been tweeting about hellaciously. Um, yeah. So in terms of what he's doing this year, I think uh, there have been like slight improvements in his game, and there have also been ways that he's being utilized better. So I think his handles a little bit better, um, and that's kind of led to him. You know, Nate Bjorken was with the Raptors last year. They did a ton of stuff with Pascal Siakam bringing the ball up. And now Domas brings the ball up a ton. Um, if he mm. gets the if he gets the board, he grabs and goes a lot of times. Um, so you know that they have him transition into sets faster. Everything that the Pacers do is actually with pace now. Um, very often the Pacers are not a team uh, centered around pace, except for the Jim O'Brien era, which was a terrible era. Um, so we try and forget about it. But um, yeah, a lot of stuff he does out of the high post, DHOs on the wings. Um, and if he gets the ball, he'll go inside and attack a mismatch. And he generates a ton of points out of 
his post up. So even if he's not the most efficient post up player, when you factor in assists, he's in like the top 10 percentile among post up efficiency. So he's uh, a lot of stuff he does is uh, just kind of centered off of his own gravity. Like um, I think there's an idea around people that, and actually myself included, I will use the, my own receipts. I want, at one time I said I would trade the Monica bonus for OG Ananobi. And then I, wow. I got a lot of heat for it. And I went back and I really thought about things and looked at it. And I'm like, okay, I'm looking at it all wrong. He's not, I think there's this idea that Demonis Sabonis is like some top tier, you know, number one option, or he's just the guy who soaks up usage. And while his usage is really high or, or not even that high, his touches are high. He's one of, I think he's second in touches in the league right now. Um, just about, um, but really he's more of a guy who, is like a bolster to your offense than somebody who is your offense. You know, he um, makes life so much easier for Victor Oladipo and Malcolm Brogdon in terms of what he does on screens. Um, I was tweeting some videos out earlier today and like his two man game with Doug McDermott is one of the staples of the offense. Like he's just, he, he is the best screener in the NBA. I hope jazz fans don't listen to this and come at me. I'm sure they will. They always find a way. David Locke just sends about in droves. Um, but <laughs> you know, like, yeah. So basically the, the way to put it is right now, he's just a, a playmaking hub from pretty much anywhere on the court, but mostly out of the mid to high post and um, has started to to drive to the rim because he's coming out from higher up. And he's uh, he hasn't shot as many threes the last two games, but he was shooting about two threes a game and hitting actually pretty well, uh, causing opposing fives to come out on him, which has opened up more for him, too. Um but there haven't there haven't been major improvements in his game the, or skill, I should say. He's just being utilized in a way that uh, that benefits the adjustments that he has made as a player. Okay. Minutes wise, I want to get into it. So TJ Warren goes down a few few games ago. He's played he played what like the first three or four games and then yeah, first four I believe. Yeah, that's a big loss for you guys, obviously. And welcome to the Suns experience of TJ. Warren, <laughs> yes, we were. It was something I was keeping note of last year because TJ had his healthiest year of his career uh, with the Pacers. Yeah. Um, and yeah, unfortunately, he has the same foot injury that he had in Phoenix, but on the other foot now. Um, yeah. That's, so yeah, that's he's rough. supposed I mean, to be back before the playoffs, but we will uh, we'll see on that. Well, you've got guys who can soak up minutes in the rotation, sort of. Uh, it helps that Depot looks more like Depot, mm -hmm. right? Justin Holiday is one of my favorite players in the NBA. I know. I, I remember when you put the video out, and I was like, I, oh, sh oh, shit. I Everyone wanna... else is figuring out about Justin Holiday. we got to end this now. <laughs> he, was, he was one of my guys this, I always say this summer. I guess it was this November. Oh, dude, I know. Um, I always say this summer on action. Just like <laughs> any any Suns fan who likes Mikhail Bridges, Justin Holiday does so many of the same things. He just does mm -hmm. everything right. Um, so, but so there's him, you've got Jeremy Lamb coming back eventually. Right. But in the interim, Malcolm Brogdon and, and Sabonis are both averaging upwards of 37 minutes a game. That's a lot in 2020, I think. And so, uh, are do, what exactly is your rotation right now? Is it eight man or, or nine man? Like, do you feel like you're riding these guys a little bit too hard, um, to a hot start, but, and does that worry you at all about the sustainability of it? Yeah. So this is a, a, a great question to ask me. I, uh, I'm assuming you guys obviously know who Caitlin Cooper is. She is the best She's Pacers writer wonderful. out there. One of the best yeah. writers in the country, undoubtedly. Um, I, I was talking to her about this the other day after one of the games, because Malcolm played 40 minutes in, in, you know, two games within a day of each other. Um, and Malcolm is a, just like TJ, super injury prone guy. Um, and this is not to berate. I mean, the, tr the Pacers have one of the best training staffs in the NBA, which is why they have so many guys who are injury prone, because that's one of their ways that they try and find advantages. Um, but it's something I'm definitely worried about. And Nate Bjorker has been asked about it. And, um, you know, part of what they talked about uh, before the year, you know, the front office and the coaching staff was having a less set rotation and uh, playing deeper and, and giving guys run. And that really hasn't been the case so far. They've been playing about an eight and a half man rotation. Um, you know, the ninth man will get uh, sometimes four minutes, sometimes 10 oh. minutes. It just kind of depends right now, um, which has been concerning to me because while they have won, you know, six of two games, which is, I mean, six, they are six and two. Uh, you can't win in six of two games. That's mathematically impossible. But, um, you know, it's been nice, but it is unsustainable, like you're saying. I think Domas is coming off of his first real injury, and it's an injury that can come back in plantar fasciitis because he didn't tear it all the way through. Um, 
you know, he's playing an extremely high amount of minutes. And Malcolm, like, it's not even that they're getting rest. Like, Malcolm played the final 25 minutes on clock of the game against the Pelicans. Um, And I think it's ridiculous. Like, did did his play suffer? Because I didn't watch the game. Totally. Like, Like his his defense, look, to his credit, offensively, he was fantastic. He's been really hot to come out this year. Um, But defensively, I mean, he wasn't making closeouts and, and stuff like that. And, like, I get that dude. Like I, I can't fault you for that. You're out there for, he, he didn't, he he was out there for the entire second, almost the entire second half and then all of overtime. So I'm like, yeah, dude, I wouldn't be making closeouts either. Like, um, so it definitely faltered, like really interesting stat. I don't have it off of yesterday's game, but when I did this, I wrote an article on why the minutes are concerning the other day. So after seven games, the Pacers were, what's been really of note is that they've been killing it in third quarters and that's fallen off recently, but through the first seven games, they had a 36 net rating in the third quarter, which is obviously monster. They were just totally thrashing teams. But then they fell to a negative 14 and a half in the fourth quarter. And luckily, the, the third quarters were so juiced that it didn't matter. But that's really started to come back and bite guys. I mean, bite the team in the ass because they are, you know, they're they're playing a really uh, obviously, you know, the pace isn't crazy high, but compared to where it was last year, it's quite a bit higher. Um, and they play a really uh energetic ball pressure defense that really doesn't let up very often, um, which takes a lot out of your guys. So I think, you know, we've seen, especially since TJ went down, uh, we've seen guys getting gassed towards the end of games, uh, which is concerning. You know, I think, I mean, Victor played 35 minutes last night and he's, as far as I know, he's not going to play back to backs. Um, He hasn't played the one back to back that they had this year. Um, And they've been pretty vague on whether or not he will, because I was asked in media availability. Um, I don't think he's going to just, based on track record for guys with similar injuries. Um, but yeah, I would certainly say that I, uh, I'm a little bit concerned about the minutes so far, because I think there are guys on the bench who should be getting run. Like Keelan Martin is an interesting guy. There aren't any forwards on the team right now because Doug McDermott really is a wing who's six, seven. He can't guard force, um, or at least it's wrong to ask him to guard force because he's not strong enough. Um, I mean, yeah, Cassius Stanley is not a guy ready to get NBA minutes, but maybe, I think maybe it's time to unleash Jalen McHugh. Uh, the end of that bench so it was really funny because every time Jalen LeCue got the ball in uh in preseason I was like okay well the possession's over because he was trying to try to dunk spot oh no Uh, (laughs) oh dude yeah like I think he passed the ball twice in preseason that's not to indict him I mean I get it hey TJ Warren made a career out of that for the you know just to (laughs) hey hey, he got he got better at it he got better at it Kelly Oubre is the same so I mean yeah oh dude I love I I actually that's one of my questions for you guys later that we'll get to but no I have one more question before we move on from the Pacers if you don't mind the uh Pacers are currently 10th in offensive rating and 9th in defensive rating. And, you know, the Suns are, like we talked about, the Suns are, I think, 9th in offensive rating, 6th in defensive rating. If I looked at the Suns right now and I had to choose which one of those would go up and which one would go down, I would assume the offensive rating would go up maybe towards the top three and the defensive rating could either stay the same or go down. If you looked at where the Pacers are right now, do you think that that's about where they're going to stay throughout the season? Or do you think one of them could go up and the other one could go down? This is a great question. Um, so I actually would say the defense is what I'd say might go down because a miles Turner as I mean him. And if I had to pick defensive player of the year right now, I'd be probably tied with him and Joel Embiid. Miles has been that good. I mean, he has, um, the stats are crazy. Yes. The stats are crazy. And on court has been ridiculous. Like he's just been so good. I mean, he's averaging almost six stocks a game, which is just like wow. nuts to me. Oh my um, God. And he's just been incredible. Um, and also offensively, I mean, the numbers don't pop, but he has really improved offensively too. Um, but I just think, A, the way that they're playing minutes-wise and um, how the rotation looks right now and the guys who would be coming back. I mean, TJ would help a lot defensively just because you have a guy who's actually his size that you can throw right. at people. Um, but Jeremy Lamb coming back does not make this defense better. I love Jeremy Lamb, one of the most unintentionally funny people on the face of the planet. Um, <laughs> but And he's a – he's a decent offensive player and I think he'll really thrive as a six man. Cause he never has really gotten to do that because of injuries on the team, but he is a bad defender. Um, like he's got length and he's like not the least laterally quick guy, but I think he like, he he's kind of like if, uh, so if you want to drive somewhere and you have to get on the highway to get there, but then your map quest or whatever, like Google maps tells you to take 17 different back roads. That's Jeremy Lamb on a closeout. 
Um, <laughs> like he never takes the direct line uh, and it's, it's, it's painful to watch. So I think, and you know, he's coming off of a tough injury too. So I, I, I have questions about what he'll look like um, coming back. And I don't want to have too high of ex expectations, but yeah, I mean, I think there's a chance that both could fall down, which is something I'm a little bit um, hesitant about moving moving forward, which, but I think that there's ways that they can level things out with the bench uh, if they give guys more run, but, but we'll see on that. I think that was a great question. Interesting. Yeah. That, I, that would have been what I would have guessed. I, I would say that I, I think when I look at the roster for the Pacers, I would assume the offense will get better. Maybe the defense will get a little bit worse mm -hmm. just to guess though. That's really all I had for the Pacers questions. I mean, we, I would love, I mean, I'm definitely willing to talk more about them though. If you have any other, any other points to make for us oh, specifically yeah, sure. as it comes to this matchup though. Yeah. Yeah. So in terms of the matchup, one thing that I'm looking at is uh, how the Pacers are going to be guarded is interesting to me. Um, you know, I think especially like we're talking about without having TJ Warren, um, you know, you look at in the bubble, Mikhail Bridges is who matched up against TJ and he gave TJ problems. Um, TJ was, I mean, to his yeah. credit, I, I still think had a pretty good game because he was, you know, bubble Warren, of course. Um, but there was, I, I always bring this one up when looking back at why I think Mikhail is just a special defender. Um, TJ is one of the best cutters in basketball. Um, even though he's not the most athletic guy, he's just a really intuitive cutter right. and, and cuts well. Right. He was coming up on the far wing and Mikhail was trailing on him. And then TJ back cut him and was probably three strides on him, got the ball, was about to lay it in, and Mikhail blocked it just out of nowhere. It was absurd. Like, literally, I think I was – I had marked – I was starting to mark down in my notes to, to clip that play for, like, just excellent cut, right? That was the note I had down. And then Mikhail blocks it. I'm like, okay, well, I'll just scrap that <laughs> fucking note. But, like, yeah, it was – so that's what I'm interested in. I think Mikhail – I'm interested – I personally think he'll get put on Malcolm Brogdon, you know, and looking who you, at it. Who do you start? Like who's currently starting? Oh, so it's going to be uh, Aaron Holiday. Um, that's that's who you put Devin Booker on, I yep. think. Yes, <laughs> I Devin Booker on Aaron Holiday for sure. Yeah, yeah. so Aaron, Aaron Holiday will be out there with Victor, Malcolm, um, and then Domas and, and Miles. Um, so, I, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see who Mikhail guards. I yeah, assume too. it's going to be Brogdon, though, because he's hey, It's going to be either Brogdon or... Or Depot, you know, Jay Crowder for, for all of his strengths too. Domas is such a, that's an interesting matchup. Yeah. It's going to be tough for him because, because the Pacers really are just one of those only teams where you maybe do get burned a little bit for playing small now. And uh, man, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how that one's going to turn out. Well, it is interesting because one of the other notes, the Pacers, they started the year strong on the defensive glass, but have kind of reverted back and they have been, abysmal on the defensive glass lately like they yeah. got out rebounded by 20 to the pelicans um and they really struggle on the offense on the on the defensive glass so Weird. that's one thing i'm concerned about with deandre and if he if they really focus in on um on pounding the offensive glass that is an opportunity um for sure i wouldn't have expected that I yeah, know, neither, right? neither would I. Start, I actually you start two bigs and you should not have an issue miles is not a great a... rebounder um yeah but Again, you, you look at it, and it's like the, the, the defensive rebounding is vexing. Um, I think part of it is, I mean, TJ was one of the guys who did not help it. Um, no. But he was actually one of the guys who this year was, he was way better on the glass. He was boxing guys out. And it's not even that he's like, I think it's one of the things that I really struggle with because, you know, I try and be cool about it because I think when you look at like, not to say we're special or something, you look at guys like us who like we cover basketball like crazy, like way more than the general person. And so people see TJ Warren six foot eight and they're like, well, he only gets two rebounds. So he's got a, he just doesn't try hard. And it's more like, and correct me if you guys think differently, but I, I think he just gets caught in no man's land. Like he's not sure if he should get the rebound or if he should box his guy out. And oftentimes yeah. you do more harm than good. If you are caught in between doing two things on the basketball court. He loves to run out and transition. Yes, too, I that think. too. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is a weird thing with him. I think that you could argue that that's his sort of his general problem on the court <laughs> just at all times. And I think one of the main reasons the Suns started to get frustrated with him, obviously he struggled with injuries while he was here, but I do mm -hmm. think that there was a little bit of TJ Warren would forget the plays that were happening on the court commonly when he was on the Suns. And uh, to his credit, uh, four different coaches while he was here 
Uh, so things were changing dramatically year over year, which are difficult for any NBA player. Uh, but yeah, I think that just sort of getting caught in no man's land was, was an issue here. And it's obviously, that's something that players tend to get better at over time anyway. Yeah. Uh, you know, the more continuity that, uh, you know, any organization has the better obviously, but yeah, I think that seems like something that would be the case. The Suns, you know, the Suns only start one big, but he's DeAndre Ayton, and DeAndre Ayton is one of the better rebounders in the NBA. And to their credit, they're still not close to the top in rebounding, but they do have a, a pretty strong focus on gang rebounding. So yeah, everyone's co- sort of cr- crashing the glass to ensure that if DeAndre Ayton is occupied, someone's there to get the rebound, which has been interesting for the Suns because they now seem to be willing to allow if Cameron Johnson or Mikhail Bridges catches that board, they're not forcing it out immediately to Chris Paul or Devin Booker. They're allowing those guys to bring it up and see if there's anything immediately there. And then oftentimes the offense will then reset if there's nothing there, but it's just been interesting to watch. Yeah, that was interesting. I remember listening to you guys talk on, on, on your latest one about how they are like close to the bottom in pace, I believe. Um, yeah, they're last now. Yeah. Which is, I, I guess I should have remembered that because it's a Chris Paul team, but um, it's still really interesting. Um, just considering the personnel and, and the way that that team played last year. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the other thing that I would mention too, in looking at this uh, with, with miles is offensively, I'm going to keep beating this drum because he is, he went from being um, there was this, the thing that always gets thrown around is that the idea of miles Turner is better than actual miles Turner. And I think that there, <laughs> there was a case for that for a couple of years. Um, I think he was actually probably, People didn't realize how good he was defensively, but they definitely vastly overrated how he was as an offensive player. Like you guys um, do good stuff with the draft. So, you know, you know, talking about feel like Miles was one of the worst offensive field players in basketball um, for the last couple of years. And for whatever reason, things have just clicked this year. Um, he really looks good in the offense. His ball handling has improved. Um, he's attacking off closeouts regularly now. He's just making mm-hmm. quicker decisions. Um, which was a big problem for him. Like he just couldn't, like his decision-making was uh, so, so, so far behind what everyone else was doing on court that it really clunked things up. Like, I think the offense was like a negative 10 net rating with him out there last year. Like it really wow. struggled. Um, but yeah. And so that's, that's one of those, that's, yeah, that's just one of those things that you get to year five or six and you kind of give up, right? Like it's, it's unusual that you see a guy make a big leap, yeah. you know, just to relate it to the Suns. The Suns gave up. I don't want to say give up because they upgraded, but they traded Kelly Oubre different position for exactly that reason of just this guy doesn't fit the decision making mold that we're looking for in our offense. We need to move on from him. Yes, he's 24, 25 years old, like maybe he still has potential. Um, but to, obviously, it's not going great for Kelly right now in Golden State. To Miles's credit, <laughs> though, um, it, it you know it is nice to see him make that jump a little bit. Um, right. Kind of in the middle of his career now as more of a veteran. Yeah, definitely. And it's actually really funny with Ubre because he was one of the guys um, who I wanted the Pacers to go after just because I knew he was uh, somebody who I thought would be in trade rumors based on, you know, he had his injury, he was on an expiring, Suns were kind of going in a different direction. Um, and yeah, it's obviously things haven't worked out for him in Golden State. I think they will, hopefully, because he's a, I yeah. love the dude, like he's so fun to watch when he's on. Um, yeah. When he's on is the key, key word to put in there. I um, just for the record, I think things will work out in Golden. Oh State yeah, too. totally. Yeah. It's too. just so weird watching because I, I watched the first game that you guys played in the Valley Boys jerseys, and I was like, and Kelly, like, is just so funky because he was like the whole like part of yeah. that uh, that that campaign, and then goodbye. That <laughs> was, was interesting, but uh, yeah, it worked out. Um, so yeah, uh, in terms of other matchup stuff, do you guys have like kind of questions on like defensive matchups or anything? Well, you know, when I was thinking about who's going to guard who, I, I think that there's a pretty good, I don't know. It just depends on how good Victor Oladipo has looked because my first thought is if Victor Oladipo is who he is or who he was, and he, and he's not from all, you know, from what most people are saying, he's not. And, yeah. and that's, you know, and that's not fair to him to expect him to be at this point anyway, for the record, I'm not, really faulting him for that i know there's pacers fans listening to this so um but if he if he was like that main offensive threat you would think that it would be mikhail bridges on victor oladipo and then chris paul guarding malcolm brogdon but you know they're both big like malcolm brogdon six five anyway and he's strong and his ability to isolate is so much better than 
anyone really expected it to be after coming from the Milwaukee Bucks. So, you know, there is a good chance that Mikhail Bridges is on him. I think that's going to be one of the more interesting matchups for Monty Williams to figure out who guards who there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because Chris Paul, we're talking about switching. Uh, Chris Paul can guard, seems to be capable of guarding anyone one through four somehow. Uh, because when he's, he's, he's just, the, he's remarkable, man. It's like, really I insane. Chris Paul. When he gets switched on to power forwards more more often, but even like I think he had a possession on Alex Len that he stopped in, which isn't saying much. Uh, <laughs> Alex Len not, but Alex Len is huge, so there is that. Uh, but for whatever reason, he's capable of guarding anyone at, at any size. But I, you know, when I just think about who Victor Oladipo was in my mind, I would just think that would be just a little bit too much athleticism for Chris Paul with where he's at right now. And but maybe he's not that anymore. And I think that'll be sort of the calculation that Monty Williams is making as far as who guards who. But I, I have a feeling they'll they'll still be willing to do a lot of switches uh on this team. And and they've been doing a lot of that still. Uh even with how much they play drop coverage, they seem to be willing, you know, with Jake Crowder and Mikhail Bridges and even Devin Booker. For all, all his problems on defense, his problems have never really been one-on-one defense. Guys don't just score on him. Mm-hmm. It's more often team defense where back cutters will find him yeah. or he'll, he'll get caught sort of roaming around and a shooter will get it and he'll be on a late closeout because he was nowhere near him. It's not really one-on-one. He's strong. He's big. He's capable of guarding one-on-one. And I think that's why switching has sort of done well for him so far. So it'll be an interesting matchup but defensively. Aaron, Aaron Holiday isn't a, a big backdoor cutter, is he, Mark? <laughs> uh no he's like a solid that cutter. would be how he scores um, okay i actually would be i how wonder if they might yeah i wonder if they might start justin holiday tomorrow just given on uh some of the size on the wing um you know i it's it's interesting because he's struggled out the gates but i've also been a little bit frustrated because um a like i get it, i think starting and not starting is like a little overrated sometimes because you can be subbed out really quickly. You know, it's whatever. Um, except when it comes to Deandre Jordan and Jared Allen, I'll always bitch about that. Um, but um, you know, in terms of looking at Aaron, like he showed a lot of on ball equity in the bubble last year uh, with Vic really struggling. And I'll, I'll talk about Vic in a second too. Um, but they're giving him very little opportunity to run anything on ball. And he's been mostly just a spot up shooter Um and it's been kind of unfortunate. You know, I, I really want to see them give him some run at running bench units. And he's, he hasn't gotten the opportunity to do that very much. Um, but I think, yeah, defensively is going to be a struggle for him. I think he's – I don't want to say that he'll be – that he won't be on Chris, Ma- on Chris Paul. I don't love the idea of him on Chris Paul just because Chris Paul is so smart and so good. And Aaron is actually a really – quite a better defender than people realize. I mean, he's a holiday. It's pretty hard to be a bad defender if you're a holiday, I think. Um, you have but, to change your name, I think. <laughs> exactly, right? Um, but, yeah, I mean, he had part of the issue was they started him in uh, in the playoffs, and actually Jay Crowder almost fouled him out uh, a couple of games because he had to rotate over and uh, guard Jay Crowder in the post. And even though Jay Crowder is not a post presence, like, He's six inches, oh, well, five or six inches taller than 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 Aaron, so it's you can't really cover him. Um, but yeah, I mean, in, in terms of looking at Victor, though, this is interesting. So also, it's funny because if you mention Pacers fans, they're probably the ones who are putting the most expectations on Victor. Uh, it's always like Jim one two four nine on Twitter or some shit. And um, you know, I it's it's funny because he's back in a sense, like in terms of his confidence. I think is back more. He's still getting his handle caught up with his on-court speed. Um, so, like, the burstiness is there north and south. I think, like, 90 to 95% of the burstiness north and south is there. But in terms of uh, elevating at the rim, that just hasn't been there. I think he's attempted, like, three dunks this year, which is not Vic. Mm. Um, you know, and he, to his credit, I think in, in the Houston game, he didn't finish well shooting-wise. I think some of the, uh, the refing was not – fantastic in terms of how they were calling contact on either sides in that game um but he was actually going to the rim a lot and that's that's improved because he was he he wouldn't drive on duncan robinson when he was isolated on him which is like that's bad if you're right, not gonna iso- put chris paul on him then <laughs> <laughs> exactly Malcolm's gonna have to deal with uh with mikhail bridges i think oh gosh that sounds painful yeah that's i that's- just dread whoever whoever gets guarded by mikhail i'm like all right so you're shooting 25 percent from the field mikhail jail <laughs> dude honestly like he's just so long like he's so long 
I mean, so, you know, Vic's Vic's got that to go back to him. He's got that size advantage. If you put Chris Paul on him, ultimately though, I think it comes down to Deandre Ayton. Uh, He's going to play a pivotal role. And I think if the Suns are looking at the scouting report, the obvious places, the obvious weaknesses you think about with Indiana, A, Aaron Holiday, you're going to, you're going to hide Devin Booker on him, but, but B, for any improvement Miles Turner has made with his efficiency, you want him to prove it. Yeah, um, so they're going to, they're going to keep, they're going to help off uh, Miles Turner a, a decent amount. Obviously they're still going to have to rotate and, and not let him, you know, be in position for easy dunks. Um, but if, D, if that means Deandre Aiden has to play up a little bit higher and, prevent you know a guy like depot from driving to the rim then i think you know maybe that's what that's what they're going to do and and ayton's really going to be the guy who kind of drives the scheme yeah i know that that totally makes sense oh go ahead sorry for the suns i think there's one interesting thing that they could be dealing with that i just sort of contemplated now dario Saric has not played they the suns have had one back-to-back he didn't play on the second night of that back-to-back the suns uh, are playing the pacers on the second night of a back-to-back so for the Suns, it'll be the, uh, let's see, who is it? Detroit, the Pistons, and then the Pacers on the next night, I believe. And if it were me, if I were Monty, now I was making a decision, I would sit Dario Saric for the Pistons game and I would yeah. keep him. If they're planning on only playing him for one of those two games, it would make a lot more sense to have an extra big body against the Pacers than it would against the Pistons, who are I, believe, I don't know, man. The Pistons right have now. like every rotation big in the league. And nobody <laughs> wanted it. Feels like uh, yeah, yeah. And, and I, I feel mean, like Frank Kaminsky will be fine against whoever their whoever their well, backup big is. Je- oh yeah, against their backup big. I was gonna say Jeremy Grant. Don't no, oh, I know. I'm actually yeah, I'm writing an article on Jeremy right now. He's yeah. insane. Like 20, I totally twenty four points this. per game. Yeah. twenty four points per game for Jeremy. But the way Grant. I, that's crazy. The way I look at it for the the Pacers game specifically is the bench is going to matter for the Suns. The bench has honestly been carrying the Suns so far this season, weirdly. Mm-hmm. And if the Pacers are playing guys maybe a little too much minutes or they're maybe a little more unwilling to place some of their bench guys because of a lack of faith in some of those guys, well, the Suns are very willing to do that. Maybe it would be smarter to have some extra bodies against the Pacers. So that will be an interesting decision that we could know as early as tomorrow. And, you know, if if Dario Saric, who's been huge, still leading the Suns in net rating, by the way, uh, if Dario Saric sits for that Pacers game, that's a huge advantage for Indiana, I would say. Yeah, no, that, I, I would definitely agree with that. I think, yeah, like I mentioned in the bubble, he gave the Pacers fits. He's the kind of guy, like, I mean, he doesn't neutralize Miles Turner, but if you if he's playing the five and you force Miles to have to come out and guard him, that just – it makes it harder on the defense. So, yeah, I would totally agree with that. But the one thing that's interesting to me, um, I mean, Aiden has to guard Sabonis, right? Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's that's unequivocal. I think they'll run a lot of high post. Well, uh, yeah, maybe. I, I don't know. Jay I mean, Crowder's I really think- strong. <laughs> True. That's a good point. I mean, P.J. Yeah. Tucker ended up guarding uh, Domas most of the game uh, yesterday. Yeah. So that's entirely possible. Jay Crowder spent the whole game, and this is probably not the best example, guarding Pascal Siakam against the Raptors. Pascal had a really good game, but I don't think that was necessarily because of Jay Crowder's defense. He he's done he does a good job. He does a good job in the post because he's you know two hundred and forty pounds at his size, so he can hold his own. So I I don't really know how that's going to look either. But uh, I'm I guess if Miles Turner is he shooting a lot of threes so far this season? What, yeah, what is he's he... shooting. I think just about just over four a game. I got to pull up my stats real quick. Yeah, so maybe it's... they will put. Maybe they will put Jay Crowder on Miles Turner. Oh, That's wait, actually yeah, he's shooting, yeah, four and a half a game right now. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if I want Aiton out there on the perimeter that much. Yeah. <laughs> I'd prefer him under the rim. Yeah, well, we'll see on that. Um, well, guys, do you have uh do you have any other questions before we get out of here? I think this was I, I don't know. I feel like I know the Suns a lot better, and I'm definitely <laughs> excited for tomorrow's game, man. This is gonna be well, like- you know, we Without looking too far ahead on the schedule, I realized we actually have two games coming up against you guys. It's not just the game tomorrow, but uh, a week after next oh. Saturday, we're playing again. So, you know, we're about to find out a lot about these two teams, not only with respect to tomorrow's matchup, but then whoever loses, can they battle back the next time? Or is someone just going to dominate the season series uh, really quick here? So it should be fun to find out. 
Yeah, definitely. I, if uh, the if the Suns beat the Pistons, we can officially call this the battle for to be the best team in the NBA. We'll just pretend the Lakers don't exist <laughs> exactly, for a little while. Man. Yeah, Sixers don't exist as far as I'm Sixers concerned. Sixers don't so exist. Yeah. Lakers don't exist. These are the two top seeds. Yeah, one hundred percent. There's uh, if if you had TJ Warren on your team, you can be a good team. That's that's it. That's the <laughs> exactly. only stipulation. Exactly. Or, or Jalen the Q. Good luck, Chum. Oh, yeah, Jalen the Q. Yeah. We owe actually we owe our entire YouTube presence in a kind of funny way to a sensational video mike made of Jalen the q <laughs> right after he went undrafted and was signed by the suns which is to date still our most viewed video on our youtube channel it has <laughs> well, like no 40, way. How many, views or something wow okay, and it's called it's that. called Jalen the q baby westbrook uh, <laughs> so i guess before we that's go that's what they call him that wasn't know, my nickname i know that's what they call him but i i guess here's here's what i'll leave you with mark is uh, my final question to you is there that sort of kind of even in like an ironic way among Pacers fans <laughs> yeah. I know he's a year older now but he's still so young oh man um luckily I haven't seen anyone you know calling for LeCue to play yet and I don't mean that as a diss to him but I just like in from what I've seen he's not ready to be he's not good yeah, he's, he's not <laughs> he's also 20 um, so give him he time. can dunk which is cool but like yeah, yeah that's um I, I don't know we'll see on him um <laughs> luckily no the problem is everyone wants Lance Stevenson um, everyone's like, Oh, bring back Lance, bring back Lance. And I, so he I just saw signed the G league contract. Yes, exactly. Right? I saw that today. I'm like, if, if the mad ants draft him, I'm going to lose my mind because <laughs> so many people ask me about it. I'm doing a mailbag pod tomorrow. And I just put in the mailbag pod. I'm like, I'm not answering questions about Lance Stevenson <laughs> because I, I'm, I have a lot of reasons why I'm not a big fan of him for stuff off court. Um, hey, but sure. also on court, he's not really that great either. So yeah, other than his done. like one year in 13, 14, and he had like a six game run with the Pacers where he was like semi decent uh, in Paul George's last year. But other than that, like he's just not a guy who's super helpful. In we NBA. had Jamal, 41 year old Jamal Crawford. But he was a bucket. Was... He was a bucket. Come on. Look at <laughs> people that was forget. the most annoying thing. People, like, people really, there was that whole forget. month whole month leading up to the bubble last year when ball don't lie and all these stupid aggregate accounts <laughs> yeah. just keep going like jamal crawford is still on sign yeah. like because you could be my dad right now like what? <laughs> yeah. like it's not even jamal like a- crawford's agent was sending them uh some square cash to post those videos before the bubble exactly man like it's not even like a diss to the guy like he was a really really good player he was a bucket of all time yeah he was legitimately <laughs> a bucket but like at some point people just have to realize like dude he's shot below 40 percent from the field he can't play defense he can can't slide his feet laterally he's not a good playmaker anymore yeah but like he was a that's trying to that's trying to reason with ball don't lie in a way that's that a good point like, that is a really good listen. point <laughs> they don't listen to that you know yeah so. they don't man well this was uh this was fantastic guys I man we'll, we'll have to do it again if if it's, if it's a good game we'll, yeah. uh, we'll have to do it again next week or something but uh, oh, yeah. Before I let you guys get out of here, is there, uh, there anything you want to plug or uh, or just let people know that you're working on right now? Well, for me, you can follow me on Twitter at Protected Pick. Most of my tweets are about the Suns, but I do talk general NBA quite a bit. Uh, I have a lot of opinions. Uh, and then our podcasts, if you ever want to listen to a Suns podcast, I know they're a little more in the national conversation than normal. It's called the Timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast at the Timeline pod uh, on Twitter. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at S Cooper Hoops. You know, same deal as Mike. Suns talk mostly, but, uh, you know, general NBA stuff as well. And yeah, I'm on the same podcast. So there you go. Awesome. Well, guys, thank you again for coming on to everyone listening. Thank you for listening. Of course, follow Mike and Sam. I really enjoy them on Twitter, uh, especially when you guys pull the Reddit memes uh, after games. That's That always gets me going. <laughs> um, well, guys, thank you again uh, and just have a good rest of your day.